0: Well, it is gardening season and when I was growing up as a kid, my parents had a very large garden. So I spent very many hours picking up rocks, planting seeds, pulling weeds. And by the time I moved out of the house, I said, I have had enough of that. And so I I heard an amen, yeah. And so now I get my veggies from the store as God intended. And so, no, not, not really, but um, I had enough of all that. But along came our, our kids, and specifically our, our middle child, Marissa, like for years and years and years. She has been saying, I want a garden, I want a garden, I want a garden. I'm like, you don't know what you're asking. And so finally, this, this year, we got her uh, one of these little above ground gardens. And so she's getting a taste, and I do mean taste of, that's not really a pun, but I mean, she's getting just a little taste of what it's like to have a garden. So she's having to weed, she's having to water it every day. She has uh, specifically cucumber vines that are just going out of control and taking over everything, and so she's having to keep them from taking over all the other plants in the garden. But so she's doing all of that work, and and really, whether you work in a little garden or big garden or or whatever it is, I mean, the reward for all of that work is the harvest when it finally comes, right? I mean, I, I still remember the highlights for me of working in the garden was when my dad would tell me on a summer afternoon, he'd say, I want you to go to the garden, I want you to pull, you know, like a dozen ears of, of corn. And if you've ever pulled an ear of corn off of a stalk, it just makes this really satisfying crunch sound, you know what I'm talking about? And so, and then, uh, then it was time to husk the corn and so uh, I would stand there in the garden. I'd husk all this corn, and it's, it's making a mess, but that's, that's okay. That's the way harvesting goes sometimes. So you, know, you harvest that, and I'm, I'm standing there the whole time you know, harvesting this corn and, and shucking it, and I'm thinking in about a half an hour, it's going to be like in a boiling pot of water. I'm going to be slathering up with butter, and it's going to taste so good. And it makes all of that work worthwhile because we finally get to to harvest. Now, if there is no one to harvest, then all of that that fruit, all of those veggies, they they just go to waste. And the the area where we just moved from, South Central PA, there was a a pumpkin farm right around the corner from, from where we were. And every fall, they would have this big Thing where you know, they would open it up and have people come in, pick your own pumpkin, go through corn mazes, hay rides, you know, all of that kind of thing. And after all of that was done, sometime the end of October, beginning of November, we would still drive by their property and drive by their fields, and the fields would still have all of these pumpkins that were left out there because people didn't buy all of the pumpkins that, that they grew. And so some of those pumpkins just went to waste because no one harvested them. You know, Scripture uh, uses imagery of farming a lot of times to, to teach us spiritual truths. So, for example, in the Psalms, it teaches us about faith, saying that when, when we sow seeds, when we, when we do things, sometimes we're doing them in faith for the future. Sometimes we sow in tears, crying, but we will reap with, with shouts of, of joy. Um, James tells us that we need to have the patience of a farmer because we need to wait. It takes time for things to grow, for for fruit to grow and for for them to ripen and get ready to to bring in. Paul tells us that there's a role that humans have in growing things spiritually. We we plant and we water, but ultimately God is the one who makes things grow. And this morning we're going to look at a passage that looks at the spiritual parallel to harvesting. So if the world is a giant field, God is growing and working in people's lives and ripening them to bring them to a point of harvesting them and bringing them into his family, bringing them to a knowledge of him. And if no one goes to that harvest field If no one goes and brings the good news that Jesus Christ has provided a way to have a relationship with God because he has sacrificed himself in our place. If no one goes into that harvest field with that news, there there are people who will not be harvested in, who will be left out there, and that is a matter of eternity being apart from from God. So we're going to talk this morning about the opportunity that you and I have And the invitation that Christ gives to us to be part of this harvest process. And if you're like me, like when I went to the garden, my my dad had to train me, teach me how to harvest that corn. I didn't just know it. And so Jesus, if, if you don't know where to start, like... Like, you may not know where to start to to harvest your garden. You may need to look it up on the internet and get instructions for that. If you don't know where to start in this spiritual harvest, Jesus is going to give us some specific instruction about that this morning. If you would turn to Luke chapter 10, that's where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you on the seat. And Luke chapter 10 is on page 962. We started a, a series last week for the summer here called uh, When the Tide Turns. And we saw that, that Jesus is, has set his face toward Jerusalem. And he, he is moving towards his destiny, which is death on a cross to pay for the sins of, of the world. And what we saw specifically last week is that following Jesus is less popular and more difficult than we expect. And so the journey to Jerusalem for for Jesus is continuing. We pick it up here today. And I want you to listen as we read these two words. uh, I'm sorry, two verses. And actually, uh, the word harvest shows up here, hence the the introduction here this morning. And when we hit the word harvest, I want to ask you to read that out loud with me. I want you to engage with me a little bit, make sure you're awake here this morning. We're going to start in verse 1. After this... The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest, good job, is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. All right, how many times does harvest show up? Three times, all right. So anytime you see a word repeated in Scripture, especially within a verse like that, we need to pay attention because it's flagging us. This is the topic. This is, this is what's going on. This is what Jesus is talking about here. So Jesus is issuing an invitation to you and to me to take part in the harvest. He's saying, I want you to be part of this. I want you to be a harvester along with me. Jesus talks about this elsewhere in John chapter 4. Talking again to his disciples, he says, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus says we are called to be part of this fun, the fun part of bringing in the harvest. And he gives us some specific instruction now about how to go about that. So the first rule of the harvest, we're going to look at four rules of the harvest. The first one is to partner up and pray. That's what we see here in in verse 1 and 2. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two. So we're to partner up. So Jesus is not sending us, this is not a lone ranger mission, Jesus is sending us to to partner and uh, and tackle this together. And he exhorts us to pray for more laborers in verse 2. He says, uh, The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly, plead and beg the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So why, why does Jesus say to pray for them? Why doesn't Jesus just nudge people or zap them or something or push them out of their seat and just make the laborers go. Why does he ask us to pray? I think there's three reasons why he would ask us to pray. The first is that this is just this is a huge undertaking. It's bigger than than we are. I mean, when when it says here that the Lord appointed 72 to go out Uh, There's probably a symbolism that Luke is is pointing us to here, because if we went back to Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 10 is sometimes referred to as the table of nations. It's all the immediate descendants of Noah. After the flood and Noah comes off the ark, we we see how uh, all of these descendants laid out. And if you count all of those descendants, guess how many are there? Seventy-two. Okay? It's, there are 72 nations that fanned out and filled the earth then, and Luke must have that in mind here, because if we went back to Luke chapter 9 and read the beginning of Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out his apostles, his 12 apostles, on a very similar mission to the one that we're seeing here. And when we're sending out 12 apostles, when he's sending out 12 apostles, that's going to the nation of Israel. That has Israel in mind because there were 12 tribes of Israel. So now he's sending out 72, and what Luke has in mind is the whole world now. So we're looking for that world harvest field. That's a huge job that's going to require a lot of people. It's bigger than than any one person. So we need to pray that God would send out more harvesters so everyone can be brought in. The second reason I think he calls us to pray is because this job is not going to be easy. So in verse 3, Jesus says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So he says, you as my followers, you are like lambs. Okay, compare, think in your mind, if a lamb encounters a wolf, who's going to win? Okay, pretty, pretty easy. I mean, lambs are defenseless, not very smart. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs. And there, there are people who are going to resist you. They're going to, Uh, Oppress you They're going to reject you And so we're going to need help with that We're going to need to pray We're going to need to be dependent on God for that And so the third reason I think he tells us to pray Is because prayer changes our hearts So as we are praying For other people to be going out into the field It also begins to change our own heart And we realize, man, I need to be out in that field as, as well what, what, what kind of harvest would God want me to be bringing in in the people, the sphere of influence that I'm in? So we partner up and pray. The harvest starts with prayer. The second rule of the harvest is to travel light and trust. So in verse 4, Jesus says, As you go, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Don't get stuck providing for all of your needs and carry a huge suitcase with you of all this stuff that you think you need. Actually, what you need to do is go with nothing so that you can depend on God to provide for you through the people around you as you go. We don't like that very much in our resourced culture, do we? I mean, we like to, if we're, if we're going on a mission, uh, we've got some folks going, leaving Believe it or not, it's next week. Those of you who are going to Bolivia, it's happening next week. So we've got people who are going. They've been planning for months. They, have no doubt, some of them have been packing for weeks. And some of them have not started packing and won't until next Monday night, probably. So, you know, but we, lots of us like to prepare. We like to get all the details, all the resources lined up. And we don't like to leave a lot to chance. But meanwhile, Jesus says, I, I want you to just go travel light because I want you to trust along the way. See, we're gonna have to trust, even in our very resourced culture, we're gonna have to trust God somewhere along the way because things are gonna happen that are out of our, our control. So some of you there on that Bolivia trip, you know, that costs a certain amount of money to go. Some people have raised support, sent out letters, asked for support, asked for God to provide in that way. Others have just said, hey, I'll write the check myself. I have the resources, I'll write the check myself. Even if you're in that situation, there are, there's some way God is gonna test your resources and you're gonna to have to depend on him in, in this process. Let me give you an example of how that's been happening in that, that Bolivia trip. Um, we are doing this trip as a, as a partnership between Grace Point and Restoration Church down in Levittown, our, our sister church down there. And there's a family going on the trip from, from Restoration Church that has a a really unique situation, and they told me it was okay for me to share this this morning, but it's such a a, a neat picture of of God's provision and challenge for us at times. There's there's a family down there where uh, there's a mom and then two teenage kids who have never been on a trip like this and are so excited to be able to go. But dad is in prison. And so there's lots of paperwork that has to be processed in, in the course of going on an international trip like this. So there's visa applications. In the case of these kids at, who are minors, there has to be permission, written permission from both of the parents to say it's okay for them to be going on this trip. And so months ago, this process started with the paperwork because it was, it was gonna have to go through, it was gonna have to go to this prison and it was gonna take longer to get it processed that way. So the first batch of paperwork went, the, the visa application, and um, so in prison, dad fills it out, fills out the information, sends it back, and it's not right. There's like some information that's missing from it. It can't, it can't be submitted this way, so has to go back And then it gets filled out correctly, and then it has to be notarized. And so there's a notary there at at the prison, and he looks at the paperwork and goes to notarize it, and he says, "Um, I'm, I'm not gonna notarize this, I don't feel comfortable notarizing this because I'm afraid I'm gonna notarize dad's signature and mom hasn't signed it yet, I'm afraid she's gonna just sign her name and it's gonna look like I notarized her signature too. Does that matter? I'm not sure why that would matter. But anyway, he said, I won't notarize it. So they sent it back. Mom signs it, gets it notarized, and it goes back uh, a third time. And so, and meanwhile, weeks are going by between these, and time is ticking, and it takes a while to get all this stuff processed. And we're just praying. As a staff, we keep hearing these updates. We're like, okay, we're praying, we're praying, because we know these teens, this, we really believe God wants these teens to go on this trip. God, would you intervene in this situation? And so the third time, paperwork goes back, and so notary says, okay, it looks okay this time. It's all filled in. And so they sign it, and they notarize it, but it's on the wrong line of the paperwork. And so can you believe this? This is, you know, the notary. God bless him. Maybe he's here this morning. I don't know. I know we all make mistakes. (laughs) But they signed it on the line that the Bolivian consulate was supposed to sign. And so we're thinking, okay, we got all the signatures. We got all this stuff together here now, and and time is ticking. Should we turn it around and send it back again and try to do it one more time? No, we're going to send it, and we're going to pray like crazy, that when the Bolivian consulate gets this paperwork, that they say, okay, we'll sign off on it. And they did. And so, yeah, that's, that's good. So praise the Lord for that. So see, here's, here's the point. I mean, Jesus says, travel light and trust. You're going to have to trust. You will have opportunities, no matter how much you try to prepare for yourselves a long way. So just don't even try from the beginning. If, you, if you're headed on a mission trip, or you're headed into a mission field, you're headed for a task that uh, is part of this harvest. If you're not quite prepared, you're, you're ready for it. You're, you're ready to go. just go ahead and go because God wants to provide for you along the way and he wants to fill in those gaps that we can't provide for, for ourselves. There's gonna be opportunities to, to trust. The third rule for, for the harvest is to meet needs and point to Jesus. That's what we see in, in verse 9. Jesus says, Heal the sick in that town and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. So Jesus sends them and says, "I Meet a practical need. Bring healing to sick people. And accompany that meeting of the need with a message. The kingdom of God has come near to you. The, the, pre, the, the tense of that verb there, that the, the kingdom has come near to you, it's a perfect tense verb, which means it's completed, it's done, and it has a lasting impact. Jesus is talking about himself. The kingdom of God has come near to you. It's me. I'm standing in front of you. So what, what Jesus is saying to do is go and meet practical needs and point people to Jesus. Give Jesus the credit Specifically, he says, to to heal the sick. So interesting fact of of history is that really the whole idea of medical care came from the early Christians. Because they were the only ones who were willing to to reach out to those who were uh, suffering and and sick around them. Uh, One of the early church fathers, Dionysius, In the third century, he he said this. He said, Very many of our brethren, while in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness, did not spare themselves... But visited the sick without thought of their own peril. Now, now keep this in mind. You know, in mind, they didn't know about germs. They didn't know about you know protecting themselves and washing their hands and putting on face masks and stuff. They didn't know any of that stuff. So they're exposing themselves to whatever these sick people have. And he said they, they were drawing upon themselves their neighbor's diseases and willingly taking over to their own persons the burden of the sufferings around them. Now, this was in contrast. To the unbelieving pagans And the way they would treat sick people In those early centuries The the same Dionysius wrote this He said that the behavior of non-Christians Toward their fellow sick human beings Was this, they would thrust aside Anyone who began to be sick And kept aloof even from their Dearest friends and cast The sufferers out upon the public roads Half dead and left them unburied And treated them with utter contempt When they died So followers of Christ had this opportunity to set themselves apart and look very different from the unbelieving world around them, because they they went where angels feared to tread, and they they went where people were sick and said, I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to bring healing, following Jesus' example, and following his command here to heal the sick, and then to to accompany that with the message that this, this is coming from Jesus. Let's give Jesus the, the credit for any good that, that's happening here. And of course, so that's physical. That's, that's bringing physical healing. There are other ways to, to bring healing. And another mission, mission trip that just happened recently, many of you know that there were four ladies who went from, from Grace Point to Lebanon, to minister to some ladies from Syria, 25 ladies from Syria. And this was from a a newsletter from them this summer. And so I'll just read to you some of the ways that they brought healing that was of a different type than, than a physical healing. It says, the women did an amazing job of teaching, leading small group discussions, and praying individually with women. The team gave massages, manicures, pedicures, and makeup sessions. In the prayer corner, over meals and on walks, we listened to individual stories with open hearts and hugs. One day, we visited refugees, some living in Spartan apartments in Beirut, and others in dusty tent camps in the Bekaa Valley. We distributed bags of aid items and listened to amazing stories. Our team members prayed for practical needs such as sick children and a better future, which seems humanly impossible. So that team went, healing, bringing healing of a different kind, trying to work on their spirit. I mean, who, you know, would you ever think that, that a pedicure could be healing to a spirit? But yeah, I'm seeing some nods out there. Yes, pedicures can be healing for your spirit. And so Jesus says, go and bring healing, bring, bring comfort, and bring it in the name of, of Jesus meets practical needs um, as, a, as a church, we are praying right now about ways that we can build bridges into our communities, needs that are around us that maybe we're oblivious to. We're just asking the Lord to just open our eyes. What, what might some of those needs be? Would you please pray with us about that? Because that's part of the harvesting. <laughs> There's, there are needs that God wants us to meet. That because we can go and meet those needs, that will open the door for us to be able to say the reason we're coming to meet these needs, the reason we're, we're wanting to bring healing into your life is because of the Jesus who brought healing into to our lives. So we want to build bridges so we can do more of that and take part in the harvest. The last rule of the harvest gets us ready for rejection because the, the tide does turn And there are moments where uh, we are not accepted because of the message of Jesus. And the, the fourth rule is don't take rejection personally. So in verse 10, it says, Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near." So the message is the same, whether they accept it or reject it, the message is the same. The kingdom of God has come near in Christ, and you need to know that whether you accept it or reject it. Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. And then then he sums it up with this in verse 16. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. As we are following Jesus, and bringing news of the kingdom, and that's not going to be popular with, with everyone. Some people are going to receive it, and some people will reject it, and those folks will not be harvested. They will not be part of that harvest because of their rejection. And Jesus says, you know, we need to keep in mind, we need to not take that personally. The mission, Jesus says, is not, it's not about you, It's about him, so he says in verse 16, the one who hears you is hearing me, and the one who rejects you is rejecting me. So that's not for us to take personally. Jesus is on the road to to the ultimate, he's on the path to the ultimate rejection, which is crucifixion, which he knew was part of his destiny to pay the price for, for sin, and as you and I follow Jesus, we will be rejected. But we don't need to take that personally and let it stop us. I, I was talking with someone uh, this week who was sharing with me that he had been in a seminar a number of years ago with Dallas Willard, who is the author. Uh, and, and Dallas Willard said, "You are not responsible for results." And so, so think about that statement for for a moment, because that's kind of very different than the way we typically think, right? I mean, we're We want to be productive. I mean, we want our lives to count. We want to do stuff, and we want to have something to show for it. We we want to plant seeds, and we want them to grow, and we want to have a harvest to show for it. But but Dallas Willard is saying something very freeing to us. You and I are not responsible for whatever results happen as a result of our work. What we're responsible for is to get up every morning and to to go do the work, to go be faithful to obey what God has called us to, and then he takes care of whatever happens on the other end of that. It may not look like what we would like for it to look like. It may not be as productive as we would like for for it to be, but we're not responsible for that part. We're not responsible for how people respond when we go and meet needs for them and point them to Jesus. We're not responsible for what they do with that. That's between them and God. We're just responsible to go and... Do our part and be part of the harvest. I want to say a a word to someone who may be here this morning. Maybe you're, you're here for the first time or maybe you've just been exploring faith and exploring relationship with Jesus. And you have not come to a point yet of recognizing that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus and Jesus is the king. And maybe you haven't come to the point yet of saying, Jesus, I, I accept you as my king, as my savior, and I will fall in line behind you. Maybe you're still exploring all of that, and if so, that's, that's great, and I'm glad you're here. I just I need to say something to you in light of what we've, we've read here and talked about here this morning. If you choose to reject that message, the, the consequences are serious, and they are irreversible. Jesus says we we get an invitation to be part of the harvest, to be part of taking in with the harvest, and then being part of helping others come into the harvest. We get an invitation, and just like those ancient cities that he spoke to here, we can either receive that message and take it in and respond to it and act on it, or we can reject it. So if we are presented with Jesus as the king, we have a choice to make, will I be part of that harvest? Revelation chapter 14 gives us a picture of a final harvest, and I've been thinking about this uh, recently because uh, we're, we're planning a series this fall through the book of Revelation, which I'm both very excited and very terrified about at the same time. So, but Revelation 14, there's this this really amazing picture of the final uh, harvest that's going to to come. Uh, John is telling what he saw, and he says, I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud one like a son of man, that's talking about Jesus, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand, and another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. There is a day coming, and it may not be far off, it may be, we, we don't know how long, but there is a day coming when the harvest will be fully ripe and finished, and Jesus will take his sickle, and he will bring in the last harvest, the last fruit, the last veggies that are there to be brought in, and whatever is left will be left and will be separated from God for eternity. And so if you're here, we don't know when this day is going to be. It could be next week. If, if you're here today and you have not embraced Jesus as your king and you've not said, I will fall in line behind you and I will follow you, I know it's not gonna be easy, but, and I don't know where it's gonna take me, I don't know how difficult it's gonna be, but by faith I'm gonna fall in behind you, Jesus. If you haven't made that decision yet, today is your day. Today is your, your day to say, I want to be gathered up in that harvest and I wanna help other people come to be part of that harvest as, as well. So we'll pray about that in, in just a moment. And for the rest of us who have already fallen in line behind Jesus and we're following him, he's calling us to take part in, in this harvest. And so my question to you this morning is where are you harvesting? In your, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, or maybe you're, you're going on a, a trip, uh, a mission trip to some place uh, to the ends of the earth or, or closer? Where, where are you involved? In the harvest Jesus gives us some, some really practical instruction About how to be part of that, that harvest He says uh, to, to partner up and pray to, uh, to travel light And to trust him as we go To meet needs in people's lives And to give Jesus the credit Point him to Jesus And then not to take rejection personally Or to let that stop us From continuing to move forward With, with the harvest Just to tell you about a a really fun thing that is happening here uh, locally. There's uh, some folks who have gotten together up in Newtown Grant, the the development here to to our north, whichever way north is, I'm directionally challenged, I don't know, but there's a a number of people who are getting together, they actually had a meeting just this past week and they're talking about, they're praying about, they're partnering together and praying about how can we impact more people in our community, we're so close. To, to Grace Point, how can we help get people connected to the ministry here, and how can we just introduce them to Jesus? And so this group has been uh, meeting now for, for a couple of months, and they had a meeting this past week, and they've got some specific plans, but they're praying together. And I, I love what's happening there, because I would, I would love to see that multiplied over and over again through, throughout our, our church family here. So maybe you live in a neighborhood with some other people, Maybe it's an opportunity for you to to say, hey, why don't we get together once a month and just pray and start asking the Lord to to show us what are some ways that we might reach more people in our neighborhood or in your workplace. Maybe you work with someone who doesn't go to Grace Point. That's okay. If they're a follower of Jesus, say, hey, why don't we get together once a month and just pray about how we could do more to bring in the harvest that's right here at at this workplace. See, Prayer, it it all begins with with prayer as God begins to remold our hearts and and give us a heart to then move into action. Let's pray and ask him to do that in us. Father, we come to you uh, thankful that you, you are the one who understands. You are the Lord of the harvest. Um, From beginning to end, you're the one who provides the seed, whether that's physical or spiritual. Um, you're the one who causes those seeds to grow, you allow us to be part of the process with pulling some weeds and, and, and doing, picking up some stones here, here and there, but Lord, ultimately you're the one who is bringing people to, to ripeness spiritually, and you call us to be part of that harvesting process by bringing the good news of Christ to them and giving them, offering them that choice of whether they will follow and be part of this kingdom of God under the lordship and the kingship of of Jesus. Lord, for for the person who is here this morning, who has not yet embraced Jesus or accepted Jesus as their king and as their savior, who has not yet come into the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you would draw their heart now, that you would help them overcome any barrier, any fear that they may have. Sure, the, the future is unknown following Jesus, but the future is unknown not following Jesus, and Jesus knows the future, so it's better to fall in line behind him. And I pray, Lord, that you would draw that heart this morning and cause that, that man or that woman, that young person to know that even right where they sit this morning, they can call up to Jesus say, Jesus, I, today is my day. I want to follow you because I want to be gathered in to, to that ultimate harvest. And Lord, for, for others of us who, who maybe are not as active in, in the harvest, Lord, would you call us Um, into that harvest field and then call more people so that, Lord, as a result of the ministry of of this body of believers, we would see hundreds and even thousands of people come into relationship with Christ and be part of that harvest so that they would be spared from being left out in that field and being left for an eternity apart from you. Lord, help us to be faithful. We're, We're not responsible for the outcome or the results. We're just responsible to do what you've called us. To do so, Lord, empower us to do that. Give us courage, and Lord, we look forward to what You will do through us as as individuals and as uh, as a church family. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen.